everybody, it is Friday, September 28th, 2018, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisledike, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. Uh, today is a dark and dreary day here in Michigan. The weather has really turned into fall, and on top of all of the rather terrible political and social news of the week, it seems like, well, it's the perfect time to do an automotive podcast. Uh, I think we're all collectively exhausted, and uh, it feels a little silly doing this, but nevertheless, we're here to talk about some things. Uh, Up in car news, we'll talk a little bit about the new Nissan Altima. A lot of reviews dropped today uh, talking about the car, some of its trim levels, some of its pricing, so on and so forth. So we'll give a little bit of feedback on where I think we're at with the Altima, especially in light of my declaration that the Honda Accord is still the best choice in that segment of vehicles out there today. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about some changes that Toyota seems to be getting ready to make with their infotainment systems. Uh, That kind of ties into that kind of thing a little bit as well. Uh, In the culture segment, I think it's kind of important to talk about what's going on at Tesla right now. Uh, They are being investigated by the SEC. I guess this is almost like a news segment, Uh, but the cultural end of it is what does Tesla look like without Elon Musk at the helm of the company. I think there's a lot of ins and outs to this particular problem. And then last up, a car that's been on my mind. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Mazda 3, Uh, particularly the first generation Mazda 3. I think uh, now that it's been, what, more than a decade since that model had its uh, initial run, uh, we we need to kind of think about where it kind of took things in that segment. And really kind of reflect on why we still love it so much, even though there really wasn't all that much to really love about it after the fact. I have some points to make. Nevertheless, uh, guys, if you're a fan of the show, you like what I'm talking about, uh, you really enjoy it, you can dive into previous episodes here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. I also put all of these episodes up for free on Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Play, and Google Podcasts. Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, all of them, they're there. So if you enjoy it, please give it a thumbs up, a rating, share it with your friends and family. That'd be super duper great. After the bump, we'll talk about some Nissans and some uh, Toyotas. All right, so earlier today, uh, press embargoes broke on the 2019 Nissan Altima. It's a car that I've been talking about for a little while here on this podcast. And with some more official pricing specifications and other things, it's uh, definitely time to kind of review where we're at when it comes to the midsize market. Of course, I've talked a long time about how the crossovers and SUVs are eating away at the sales of midsize sedans all across the country. Uh, It's less about growth in the market and more about what your market share is in that segment. Uh, As much as Toyota will say that they produce the best-selling car in the United States, uh, depending on what you're talking about these days, uh, there's a lot of other crossovers that are kind of injecting themselves into that top 10 that keep pushing the Camry further and further down the list. Uh, The Altima is, of course, a response to many of the changes that have happened, and Nissan has the advantage of having the past couple of years to help determine what they're doing with this car. And Nissan has said that they remain committed to producing a midsize sedan uh, to meet those buyers who are looking to get into this segment, and they want to make sure that they have an option for people who don't want a crossover or an SUV. 
Uh, there were there was a think piece that was written somewhere on the internet the other day about how millennials are going to save the midsize sedan. And I think that's very true. A lot of millennials remember all of the problems that came with the expensive fuel and maintenance costs with these larger vehicles that their parents went through during the uh, last cash crisis in 2008. And I'm sure we're on track towards another one. And we're making safe bets that this kind of format of vehicle seems to be the right way to go. Um, but uh, Nissan's hedging their bets, just like Honda and Toyota. They think it's going to be just a blip in the uh, in the marketplace to have everybody run towards crossovers and SUVs. So we'll see if they're right. In the design terms with this car, what you're looking at is an Altima that kind of fixes a lot of problems that the previous car had. Um, I'm of the mindset that the previous Altima was okay. Uh, there were a lot of compromises made on the car over time that really kind of whittled it away. Uh, at a chassis that was very capable and ready to be something fun and cool, but Nissan never really equipped it with the right stuff to make it the kind of sedan competitor that it should have been, especially to the Honda Accord. Uh, it was definitely always kind of chasing after the Camry. Uh, this new car is longer, lower, and wider than the outgoing model. Uh, it actually makes itself slightly larger than the current Maxima, which is kind of surprising. Uh, but more or less, it's within, you know, a couple of hairs of the Camry and Accord, which are already quite large to begin with. Now, the Honda Accord, of course, took a huge leap when it came to technology and performance. Uh, that definitely was shown by Car and Driver earlier this month when they did their... Uh, lightning lap competition out at Virginia International Raceway. The Accord ended up beating a lot of performance cars that it is insane to think about that it could have done, but nevertheless, uh, the Accord 2.0-liter turbo is a pretty potent vehicle. The new Camry got a much better design update, chassis update. Uh, it's sticking with V6 powertrains. Uh, Toyota is saying that this is this is their final stand on this car. Like, they're going to bring it back. They're going to make it the best seller again. They're going to keep it being the best seller. And uh, a lot of people who have driven the uh, SE and XSE have been saying that it, they can definitely follow up on the sporty credentials of this vehicle. Nissan is offering some sporty credentials on this new Altima. They have the SR trim uh, with the available uh, variable comp variable compression turbocharged engine, which they borrowed from their uh, corporate partner, Infinity. Basically, it's a car that is able to change its compression rate to alter power and fuel economy figures at any given time, depending on what you need. Uh, this is a first application of this technology. Nissan, all together as a company, uh, the Renault-Nissan-Mitsubishi Alliance, they are the first company to do this. Um, as many reliability qualms that I might have about this powertrain in the long term, if Nissan's putting this in a volume vehicle like the Altima, it sounds like they are pretty confident in what they have. That being said, uh, this sounds like it's a great powertrain. Uh, it's plenty powerful when it needs to be. Uh, you can stomp your foot down and this thing will uh, lay down a little bit of rubber. And then it also it, uh, increases fuel economy a decent bit over the standard 2.5 liter engine. Uh, that's commendable these days, especially when you consider that it was replacing the VQ series V6, which has been around pretty much forever. Uh, the VQ, I think, dates back to like 2002 or three, somewhere around there, like the early 2000s. It was in the uh, Ultima that kind of kicked off this resurgence with this model uh, years and years and years ago. It made its way into the 350Z and made it exceptionally uh, uh, popular in that vehicle. Uh, it was in all of the Infinities, including the FX35, which had this magical sound that emanated from its exhaust pipes. Uh, 
big loss to have no more V6 in the Nissan, but it sounds like this VQ engine uh, is, or the VC engine, excuse me, is a very good replacement uh, for this car. So we'll kind of see what's happening. But what is interesting, of course, is that Nissan is not going to be offering the all-wheel drive system with the uh, VC Turbo. Uh, they're saying that the all-wheel drive system is not designed to handle that kind of power. We'll see if that's necessarily the case uh, going forward. I think they're just maybe hedging their bets right now and saying, nah, no, we're not going to do that. And they're probably also assuming that more people are going to opt for the smaller engine anyway, uh, especially if they were configuring it with the all-wheel drive. Um, the all-wheel drive system, if I'm understanding everything correctly, is very closely related to the system that's in the uh, Nissan uh, Rogue and Rogue Sport and the Murano. So it's a primarily front-wheel drive system that sends power to the rear when it detects slippage. I don't necessarily know if this can send power side to side like the old Nissan Juke could, uh, but nevertheless, it sounds like it's going to be a pretty decent system for most people who live in areas with inclement weather, like here in Michigan. Uh, so I'd definitely be curious to know how it handles uh, some of those snow things. Uh, early drives of these cars were done in California, so not so much of a chance to really test these all-wheel drive systems out. Other interesting things about this new Altima, uh, the interior is refreshed in a way that looks exceptionally modern. It looks up-to-date. Uh, it's a very clean and simple design, for, especially for Nissan, which historically has had too many buttons and switches and ugly screens and whatever else. Um, they are offering a standard 8-inch touchscreen with Android Auto and Apple CarPlay on all trims, including the base S model, um, so that's a nice touch for Nissan, who, uh, previous to a few years ago, had these horrible TomTom-based, uh, systems that were in their vehicles that really you just relied on Bluetooth to do everything, uh, and really it didn't interface that well with anybody's phones. So good on them to take a step forward, finally, with these systems, uh, going forward. Uh, what will be interesting, of course, is, uh, whether or not these Altimas, these early ones, will eventually get updates to run the Android-based, uh, infotainment system that Nissan's switching to, which I talked about last week. Uh, my thoughts point to no. They'll probably wait for a mid-cycle refresh on that, but nevertheless, this seems relatively technologically proof, uh, at least for the next few years. Other interesting details, well, Nissan's making a lot of standard, Safety features, standard safety features available on all the trims. Uh, it will have pre-collision warning, pre, uh, belt tensioners. Uh, I believe they are doing some uh, pedestrian detection and stuff like that on base trim models. They'll all have some things. Uh, stepping up to the SR and SV, uh, ProPilot Assist will be made available, which offers uh, radar cruise control, steering assist, all that kind of stuff. So nearly a semi-autonomous mode. It's like a poor man's semi-autonomous mode, but apparently it works pretty well. So I'm definitely interested to see how that performs out on the highways here in Michigan in the not-too-distant future. Now, really, when you start comparing all the notes in this Altima and whether or not you think it's the best car in the midsize seg or segment, really kind of depends on where your brain is at. Um, I think you kind of look at the four horsemen, of course, in this segment. You're looking at the Honda Accord, the Toyota Camry, the Mazda 6, and the Nissan Altima. And they really kind of all offer slightly different ends of a spectrum uh, when it comes to performance, quality, refinement, so on and so forth. And what you get is really dependent on how much money you want to spend. I think if you're looking to stay around $30,000, I think you're going to be getting some pretty good results with this new Nissan Altima. Uh, an SR trim uh, with ProPilot Assist or a low-level SV uh, where that is standard. It sounds like it's going to run right around $30,000. Add things like all-wheel drive. It might bump up a little bit. But 
right at that $30,000 point, you're still staying under the national average for car sales, which is good. So we'll see. Uh, I think the Mazda 6 obviously is going to be more fun to drive, but it lacks some of the uh, overall quietness, comfort that some of these other cars might have. Now, granted, Mazda has stepped up their quality and refinement quite a bit in the past couple of years, uh, but it's it's still Mazda. It's going to have that sporty, harsh ride uh, that not everybody likes. The Camry, I think, is really a car that depends heavily on which trim you get, and I think here you'd be looking at an LE, uh, which is a pretty okay trim, but it's not great. Um, for a standard commuter car, fine, but it's not going to offer a lot of other niceties uh, that are going to be coming uh, later on, and that gets to a point. I'll talk about news here in a second, but uh, Toyota just lacks the infotainment uh, expertise that a lot of other brands currently have. The Accord, of course, is still the best overall vehicle as we know it today. Um, it's sporty. It's still quiet. Uh, it can be fun to toss through corners, but it also rides really well. Like, it's just the best of every world. And, you know, some people argue that the Honda Accord makes a few too many compromises on some of those fronts. But I think dollar for dollar, you're probably still getting the best deal for your money. Uh, what is not included in that equation with those four cars, of course, is the Korean options. Uh, if it were my money, I think I would still go out and buy Sonata today. Uh, I think it still looks the part. It rides well. It's got some interesting powertrain choices. Uh, for the money, I think you're getting a lot of good standard equipment. Uh, but Nissan makes some compelling arguments with this car. So I'm really curious to see what it's like. I'm hoping to see one soon. Nissan is saying that this car is going to be hitting dealership lots uh, just in a couple weeks. It'll be available in October all across the country. So keep your eyes peeled. You might see a new one out on the street very soon. So in a very rare twist of, I don't know, decision-making? I'm not sure what's happening. Uh, Toyota declared recently that Android Auto is going to be coming to a bunch of their new vehicles uh, starting potentially as early as next year. Uh, if you've been listening to me scream and ramble about many different things about Toyota, uh, they've got really great products out there right now. As I just talked about, the new Camry is great uh, for a lot of people, depending on which trim you go for. The new Corolla looks fantastic. It sounds like it drives really well. Uh, I really like the new Toyota CHR. Like They've really kind of come around and made a lot of very interesting products available at pretty decent prices. And of course, it comes with the notorious Toyota reliability that will never or at least almost never, have a problem. Now, Toyota has been using their Entune software, which I remember correctly was co-developed with Microsoft, uh, for quite a few years now, uh, digging back into the Scion days. Uh, they've had these things available, and they've been putting them in a multitude of their different vehicles over time, and the new cars launched uh, this past year, uh, I believe they announced that Apple CarPlay would be available on many of their models, including the new Corolla, as well as the new RAV4 that's coming out, and a few others. And people were at least happy that that support finally came, but many of us, of course, who choose Android as a different operating system were kind of left out in the dark. Uh, Toyota had said before that they didn't think that Android was 
I don't remember correctly if they said it was as secure or as stable as Apple CarPlay. Um, they had some weird made-up issue that they were doing, and it really kind of limited the appeal of their vehicles, especially to me, um, where if I'm plopping down, you know, $25,000, $30,000 for a brand new car, God damn it, I want it to be able to work with my cell phone. And if it's not going to, I'm just as happy to walk across the street to the Honda dealer and get a car that's just as good, maybe even better in some respects, and have my phone work with it. Uh, it's big news, I guess, in a way that Toyota is kind of admitting defeat on this issue. After all, Toyota uh, tends to be a ship that takes a direction and sticks to it as long as it possibly can and never really turns and then just forgets about what they were doing and kind of navigates to the next point. Uh, Toyota's doing that right now when it comes to hydrogen fuel cells. Uh, as much as they've pioneered the hybrid technology that's in many vehicles today and it kind of has steered uh, uh, markets into that direction, uh, hydrogen fuel cells, they say, without a doubt, are the future that we're going towards and you're going to fuel your car up at a hydrogen station and that's going to be it and electric vehicles will never ever happen, no way, no how, not ever. And you know, the market, I think, is definitely steering away from that point. And so Toyota keeps doing what they're doing, and that's going to be that. And so for them to change direction on this, you know, it's worth celebrating. It's worth noting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which cars get this dual uh, operating system offered first. I'm hoping it's the Corolla. Maybe it'll be the RAV4. I don't know. Um, but uh, if they do the retroactive updates that Hyundai and Kia have done on their older vehicles, uh, that would be great as well. But uh, yeah, I think it kind of takes me from having kind of a hesitant recommendation on the Camry and Corolla and many other vehicles in the Toyota lineup right now to giving them full-on recommendations. I mean... These are very good cars that you can tell Toyota cared an awful lot about when it came to redesigning them and launching them here in the United States. And finally fixing this problem makes them definitely a recommended buy choice. So if you're out there looking for a new car, you think that that's something that matters to you, that it has Apple CarPlay and Android Auto capability, um, definitely check out a Toyota. Uh, they're doing the right thing. So yesterday, news broke that the Security Exchange Commission, otherwise known as the SEC, is going to be suing uh, Tesla and Elon Musk over tweets that were made public uh, just a few short weeks ago where Elon Musk said that he had secured private funding at $420 a share uh, to take Tesla private, take it off the publicly traded market uh, in order to regain better control of the company and continue to steer it in a way that they deem fit without pressure from investors to get other things done. Uh, this, of course, came hot on the heels of so many different Tesla press issues over the past couple of months when it comes to making deliveries of the new Model 3 and them claiming they don't have enough trucks and enough people to do deliveries so they've got volunteers to do it, uh, labor and safety concerns at the Fremont production facility, uh, so many things about Tesla, or excuse me, uh, Elon and his uh, presence over Tesla just as a company and you know people are really starting to say now we need to consider not having him as CEO anymore and I think the big question is not necessarily whether or not that needs to happen, but uh, what does the company look like without Elon at the husk, or excuse me, Elon at the helm, not the husk. Uh, that's kind of weird. Anyway, uh, the best thing I could com come up with in my mind is kind of what happened to Apple when Steve Jobs left. 
Um, Apple had been a pioneering company for many, many years. And without his leadership, without his innovative thinking and engineering style, uh, Apple really languished for quite a long time. They, they really suffered without his genius, as it were, uh, behind the brand. And when he came back, he reinvented Apple in his own image once again and made it the powerhouse that it is today. And with Tesla, I'm not 100% sure if Elon is necessarily that same kind of leader. On the one hand, he has been an innovative, forward-thinking engineer and you know designer and everything, and he has done so much for the EV marketplace that I think automotive people who are interested in EVs will forever be grateful for. Uh, but his thumbprint on a lot of other things hasn't been particularly great. And I think there are enough rabid Tesla fans out there that would be more than capable to help manage a company that while they've been pioneering, they've not necessarily stuck to everything that they promised that they are going to do. Um, this is still a company that seems to come out with a new idea every couple of months, has some kind of new iteration on a vehicle made available every couple of months. And it's, I think, a situation where I think Wall Street wants the company to kind of slow down for a minute, address its current problems, and then move on to the next issue. Uh, when your production cycle is spread so thin right now between three models, and then they're apparently adding another smaller crossover, they're looking to add uh, the semi-trucks, they want to do the cheaper Model 3, uh, maybe even something smaller than the Model 3, uh, there's just a lot going on. There's not enough focus to make it become as successful as what it potentially could be. And I think that's what's scaring a lot of people, and especially with the Security Exchange Commission investigating what happened and potentially, you know, indicting him for fraud. Uh, that's a huge, huge, huge deal. Um, is Tesla going to survive this? I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, they are, without a doubt, the premier uh, EV maker in the country. Uh, they are one of the headlining EV manufacturers in the world. Uh, Germany is racing to catch up with Tesla uh, all across the planet, and it's going to take a f quite a while for them to do so. Uh, but at the same time, as Tesla continues, as I said, to spread their resources so thin on so many different projects, they're not focusing on what they need to do to fend off that German competition, and that is first and foremost, increase quality and reliability, continue to increase their ability to rapidly address issues that are in their current vehicles that are out on the road today, and then three, eventually begin to scale down to models that are going to be purchasable by a wider variety of people all across this country. Germans have scale, they have expertise, they are coming for blood, and Tesla has got that just that little bit of blood kind of hanging out in the water right now, and uh, it's going to be a scary future for the company if they don't uh, I think maybe potentially get Elon out of there and get an actual automobile executive in there. I don't think Tesla's going to lose its ability to maneuver quickly. They're still a relatively small company. I don't think it's going to stop them from innovating. Uh, I think it would be important to potentially have Elon still on the board, assuming he's acquitted of these fraud charges. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a messy situation. It's a tech situation that I think a lot of companies are in right now. It's, it's uh, definitely going to be a dispute between Wall Street, the federal government, and Elon and his rabid fan base of fans. So 
we'll see what happens. Uh, if you've got any call-outs on what you think should happen with Tesla and Elon Musk, uh, feel free to drop me a line here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN, and uh, I'd be happy to post it on the show. Thanks. So we're coming up on the 10-year gap between when the last of the first-generation Mazda 3s rolled out and Mazda kind of moved the vehicle on to different uh, designs and aspects and different things going forward. And I think it's kind of important to look back on what this car was and where this segment has gone because of it. Uh, The first Mazda 3s debuted, I think it was 2002 or 2003, uh, the car soldiered on until about 2009 uh, in its initial form after a few subtle tweaks here and there. Uh, the Mazda 3 was based on an architecture that was co-developed with Ford and Volvo at the time that eventually saw uh, it underpin the European market uh, Ford Focus and the Volvo C30, which was offered here. Uh, the car chassis was known for being very taut, riding quite well, being relatively isolated, but still being connected to the road. Um, It was very capable in offering a wide variety of powertrains uh, in the vehicle. Uh, You could get all-wheel drive if you had a Volvo. You could get uh, powerful front-wheel drive turbocharged engines in the Fords and Mazdas. Um, There were just a bunch of different interesting things that were going on, and it was, was all because Mazda had taken the time to design a chassis really quite well uh, with Ford and Volvo uh, that turned out so good. It's also important to kind of think about where this marketplace was at the time. In 2003, if you were looking for a really nice, cheap, fun-to-drive car, your options were the Honda Civic and the Volkswagen Golf. There really wasn't much else going on there. This was still a time where Chevy had the, uh, I think we were coming off the Cavalier and jumping into the Cobalt around this time frame. Uh, We would have had, the Ford Focus would have been out, which was still considered to be a very good car. Uh, You would have had the Dodge Neon still available. Uh, Just some weird choices out in the marketplace. And Mazda came waltzing in with this 3 that was low, interesting to look at, fun to drive, uh, really kind of European in its interior design, uh, very Japanese in its exterior design, and kind of a blended two when it came to the driving dynamics. Uh, To this day, I still maintain that the original Mazda 3 is one of the best cars I've ever driven, simply because it was so balanced on so many different things. Uh, The engine, the 2.3 liter MZR engine, was absolutely fabulous on delivering a good amount of power, uh, but also being relatively fuel efficient, at least at the time. Uh, The manual transmission was just a breeze to operate. The clutch was light and easy to detect where it was at. Uh, The car just more or less was absolutely sublime when it came to driving it. Ownership, however, seems to be a thing that kind of goes either way on these cars. Uh, Yes, these cars are, you know, nearing up on 20 years old, which is kind of scary to think about, at least for those early models. Uh, But they've really kind of just rotted and withered away. Um, You don't see too many in good shape anymore. And if you do, they are probably plagued with a lot of mechanical and quality issues that uh, have arisen over the years. Uh, Trim pieces kind of falling out, rattling themselves apart, uh, cooling issues, transmission issues. There's so many different things that have gone wrong with these cars over time. And Mazda, you know, 
they were decent at the time, but never great like Toyota and Honda. And that's what kind of has always held them back as a company. Uh, as much as us fans of automobiles and driving and so on and so forth love the Mazda brand, it's always hard to recommend these things when you look at the long term because it's just never quite up to snuff. Uh, I think it's important to also realize, too, that, you know, Mazda forced Volkswagen's hand. We eventually got the European market uh, Mark V Golf and GTI, which really changed performance attitudes at that point in time in the mid-2000s. We eventually got a very interesting Honda Civic Si with the K-Series 2.0-liter and later 2.4 engines that were an absolute blast, even if the chassis was a little bit lacking eventually at some point. Uh, Mazda really kind of pumped up the game with the Koreans. Uh, the Koreans saw a moving target that they could match and eventually succeed, and it took Mazda quite a long time to get again back past them. Uh, but it really kind of served as a turning point, I think, for that entire marketplace for a chassis that was so well-developed, for a car that was well thought out, uh, for a demand from consumers to have something sporty and fun and interesting, uh, that today we largely have that with the majority of new cars that are out there. So thanks are definitely in order to Mazda for the original Mazda 3. Um, I definitely wish I would have bought one when I had thought I was going to, but in the grand scheme of things, probably leasing one was not a good idea, so it didn't happen. But uh, if you've got any cool or interesting thoughts about the Mazda 3, feel free to drop me a line here on Anchor FM or hit me up on Twitter at YSSMAN. Okay, car show over. Time to talk about something a little more important to some respect. Uh, this last week has been horrible, no good, dark, dingy, terrible, uh, emotionally, physically, politically, all of it. Uh, it sickens me that I've had to say this so many times in person to friends and family. Uh, it's disappointing that I have to scream this from the mountaintop on a podcast from Western Michigan. Women, all women, women of color, LGBTQ women, whatever, they need to be listened to, understood, respected, and believed if they have accusations of sexual misconduct, sexual assault, rape, anything. We're in a bad place as a country when that's not being understood and enacted. We have leaders in Congress and in the Senate who just dance right around it. And when the power of politics and money is okay with that, we've reached a bad place. All women, every single woman, young or old, whether something happened 30 minutes ago or 30 years ago need to be listened to, understood, respected, and believed when it comes to these allegations. And there's no excuse not to do it. It's very easy to feel small and disappointed and without a voice when it comes to where we're at right now as a country. And it's important to know that you have the power to change it. We all do as American citizens. We have the power to vote. It is the check that our forefathers placed upon us against those who are in power to remove them if we don't feel like they're doing a very good job. Thankfully, in just a few short weeks, we've got an election coming up where we can get these guys out of office, out of the government, and put them in their place. So you need to go to vote.org and you need to check and see if you're registered to vote. It's super simple. Just need your few little pieces of your information. You type it in. It'll tell you if you're registered. 
It might, it'll also tell you if you're not. If you are not registered to vote, it takes 90 seconds to get registered to vote. You need to do so now. Voting registration deadlines come into effect on October 9th, 2018 here in Michigan. I assume that date is also very fast approaching in many other states across this country. So get registered now. Once you do that, tell your friends, tell your family. It's easy to check and see if you're registered. They need to do the same thing. And then collectively, you got to show up to vote. That really seems like the most straightforward thing. But you'd be surprised what people do and don't do in this situation. We all need to show up and vote. Young people in particular. We have the, one of the largest voting blocks in the country now. We can offset the racist, misogynistic bigots that have come before us in generations who are currently in control. We can bump them out of power if we all show up to vote. So November 6th, you got to do what you got to do. You also got to understand what's on the ballot measures. It's beyond who's in power and who's not. There's a lot of important things that we're going to be voting on here in Michigan. I assume, again, it's much the same in many other states across the country. So make sure you read your ballot ahead of time and understand what you're voting on. And really, make sure that you carry with you the feeling that you've had for these past two years and really for the past week. If you don't think that your leader, whether it's your mayor, your state representative, your federal senator, the president, whomever, if you don't feel like they're doing a good job respecting you and respecting your politics, and you don't think it's a good reflection of where we need to be at as a country, you need to vote them out. This is our chance to steer the boat back in the right direction, to make a better future for not just our party, but all people in politics, in this country, all citizens. We deserve a better government. This is our chance to do it. Get registered and go vote. And in general, be a decent human being. It's pretty simple. It's easy to do. So that's my political flag being waved here at the end of this podcast. I hope you have a good weekend. I hope you have peace and love within your family and friends. Uh, this has been a rough week for a lot of folks, and we, we, we don't deserve this. Uh, it, it's something we can fix. So anyway, with all that in mind, guys, I hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you again next week on the Salvage Title Podcast.